Welcome to the Political Pharmacist Podcast, the first podcast to focus on the political side of pharmacy. Here's your host, Eric Geyer. Welcome, Political Pharmacist Podcast listeners. I'm your host, Eric Geyer, and this is a little bit of a different episode this week. This is going to include testimony I gave to the Ohio Joint Medicaid Oversight Committee on 10 21 uh, the next couple of days, I'm also going to drop the rest of that testimony provided by Antonio Chacha, Ernie Boyd from Ohio Farms Association, and uh, Maureen Corcoran, the Medicaid director here in Ohio. So enjoy, and hopefully you have your holidays. Here. Antonio. Excuse we have a quorum, so we'll proceed as a full committee. Members, would you please look at uh, over the minutes from the previous meeting on your iPads? Is there any discussion? Hearing none, they stand as approved. For the benefit of the viewers watching JMOC proceedings on the Ohio channel, please know that submitted documents are currently available on the JMOC website. Today, JMOC will hear testimony concerning pharmacy benefit managers, also referred to as PBMs, and their effects on the Ohio Medicaid program. We will begin by hearing testimony from Eric Geyer, Pharmacy Director for the Centers for Families and Children and Circle Health Services. Yes. Go right ahead. Thank you, Mr. Chairman, for allowing me to make a, just a brief comment. You know, Mr. Chairman, in the past few hearings, you know, we've we've heard a lot of these invited testimonies, and and I just want to sort of to help set the tone that, you know, this is the Joint Medicaid Oversight Committee. It is not the Joint Managed Care Oversight Committee. Our managed care plans do, I think, a great service for Ohio. And while there are many issues dealing with the managed care plans, I hope that we will focus on the Medicaid program as a whole and and not just our managed care plans. Thank you. Okay, Dr. Dyer, if you're ready, please uh, proceed. All right. All right, Chair Patton, Vice Chair Romanchuk, Ranking Member Antonio, who is not present, and members of the Joint Medicaid Oversight Committee, thank you for the opportunity to provide testimony on pharmacy benefit managers, or PBMs, and the issues that they are creating for Ohio's Medicaid program. Uh, where I work, the Centers for Family and Children and Circle Health Services, we serve more than 30,000 people at 14 locations throughout the greater Cleveland and inner ring suburb areas. We provide access to health care, child, early childhood education, family support, and workforce and workplace uh, development. Our mission is to improve the lives of those we serve through integrated primary care, behavioral health, pharmacy, early learning, and family support services and workforce training. We are leading the way in providing an innovative and integrated model that coordinates health and wellness services with family support programs, including early childhood development, job training, and workplace and workforce development. The organization is one of the oldest and largest nonprofits in Northeast Ohio. We have five pharmacies that help pr provide critical and affordable access to medications for our patients, many of whom face difficulties getting just access to care. We serve a wide range of patients, but many are enrolled in Medicaid services, and thus the issues concerning pharmacy benefit managers directly affects payments made to us. Because of the way our pharmacies and healthcare settings are set up, 
We are obligated to reinvest the money back into services to help better serve our patients and their health needs. Therefore, when a clawback of any sort hits us, financially, it can limit our ability to help better take care of our patients and the services that we provide to them. After the 2018 investigation that showed how much the Medicaid system was abused by these pharmacy benefit managers, I guess we sadly shouldn't be really that surprised that they would stoop to different interpretations of the law to benefit their bottom line at the expense of others, including those patients they're supposed to serve. Although the focus of this committee is on state Medicaid program, the issue is a lot deeper and more complex than that. The same PBMs that seem to be in question here also run a large number of Medicaid Part D plans which give us contracts, as well as other insurances, through PSAOs, or Pharmacy Services Administrative Organizations. That we really don't have any room to bargain with these contracts either, just because of the power that they have. Fees are assessed through these programs can trickle down to Medicaid recipients, as every year these Medicare Part D fees, largely through direct and indirect enumeration, or DIR fees, you might hear them called, keep increasing. That means that less money for places like the Centers for Families and Children and Circle Health Services is available that we have to legally obligate it to provide care to these patients, the same people who are affected on the Medicaid program. These fees and adjustments are incredibly difficult to fully parse out when all the claims from the covered PBMs and the adjustments and the fees all come in one report. Having to go line by line to sort these uh, ever-changing fees out is an incredibly burdensome task, even when in our case we operate five modest pharmacies filling just over 10,000 prescriptions a month. We've even seen roughly a 20% increase or more each year from since 2018 on in these fees and adjustments. This year we will be, obsessed over, uh, we will be adjusted and assessed over $300,000 in these fees, which is up roughly 25% from last year alone. There are even circumstances where the PBM will allow a higher rate to go through on the claim side. Then, in a later month, up to six months later, have an adjustment or a clawback, if you will. This makes the claim look good, but the re-adjudication is really the real issue here and where they're pulling the money from. Similar issues really hit specialty medications that are mostly filled by limited or controlled network pharmacies, with lots of inappropriate audits being sent to places like ours for these really expensive medications or these specialty medications. Given the population that uses Medicare and Medicaid services the most, this, amount of, this amounts to a tax penalty on those who take care of the elderly, disabled, and low-income Ohioans, which we are obligated to pass forth to them in care. This math makes it easy to see why many pharmacies are having their staffing cut to the bone, even closures of some of these larger independent, or not even independent, but like uh, standalone pharmacies, and changes in their hours of operation. There are even viral social media campaigns and pages around the issues that many pharmacists are facing with this that they've created and how their business model is dictated to them by these payers. It's at the core of why many have left community retail pharmacy settings and why they're having these major staffing issues. It's really hard for us to hire people when we have you know, declining wages, declining workplace environments, and things like that to properly take care of these people as well, especially with all the laws around pharmacy. It's at the core of what we do to you know, really help take care of these people, even though we're seeing like wages de decline. At the, at the centers, we work hard to maintain our level of service and care for our patients, despite these increased fees and adjustments. It's what we are duty-bound and obligated to do. All these, fears are now coming to, all these fees are now coming to light as the, uh, the same PBMs are forcing pharmacies like mine to show our 340B purchase prices. This currently could have been just a temporary blip, but we have seen it where they've tried to do this. This may not seem like a large issue, but given the track record of these large Fortune 10 companies, they will likely use this information against, against us in future contracting as well, possibly endangering services that we provide to their patients. 
These services are not limited to medication services, but by their actions, it could limit the services we provide to these patients with our special 340B pricing as well. And this is all done at no cost to the government. Thus, when PBMs start tampering with the Medicaid model and payment structure, they start tampering with many other systems that are put in place to help take care of those who need it the most. The argument really seems to be here around the word claim and kind of how that applies. And I guess the interpretation is it only applies to that time of billing and not the re-adjudication of that claim at a later date. The intent of the law is pretty clear when I read it. Uh, it could be made crystal clear, though, if adjusted to say that all contracts and processing claims and payments to and from pharmacies, including the pharmacy benefit managers, that handle Medicaid must be fully transparent and open to audit to the state at any time. Thank you for the opportunity to share our experience with you. Should you need further details, we are happy to provide them, and I'm here to ans answer any questions that I can to the best of my ability. Thank you, Mr. Geyer. Are there any questions? Senator Antani. Thank you, Mr. Chairman. Thank you for your testimony. So in your testimony, you, know, you repeatedly said PBMs, PBMs, PBMs. Now, obviously, in the past, there were PBMs, PBMs, PBMs. But you know, in the law now, there will be a single PBM. So what, what do you believe now with the single PBM? I think that's a good way to go with it, to be honest with you. That's not the way it currently is. I want to be very clear with that. We're still having where they are tied in with the Medicare. And it could be interesting to see what happens because, again, given track record, it, they've done anything they can to kind of adjust these sort of things. But I think a single PBM on the Medicaid side is great. Um, I'm not going to really comment on the Medicare side because this committee doesn't have oversight of that. But that is something to watch out is that a lot of people who are on Medicaid are also dual eligible for Medicare. And that's where sometimes you can see some of these and they all come in the same report. And it makes it really hard to parse out what is what, which could change with a single PBM, obviously. Representative Lips. Thank you, Chairman. Thank you for being with us today, Eric. Um, for a period of six or eight months, things seemed calmer in my world about PBMs. So independent pharmacists were not uh, calling and explaining they're going out of business, that clawbacks are destroying their business model. Several months ago, that started again. And uh, there's a frenzy of calls from pharmacies. And I noticed a few local, a few a newspaper articles also that, that PBMs were doing clawbacks not under the name of clawback. So a process that through the great work of Representative West, we outlawed clawbacks. Um, but it, it appeared that within a year, they'd found a way around that. And, and now there's this process where pharmacies are being put back in this situation again. So I guess what I'd like to know is we had spread pricing. We kind of found a way through that. So, so can you give me an idea today on accountability? What's, what's this new form of clawback? So a lot of what I think was being referred to as a clawback here, I'll be very clear because it's like a broad term, is the way you're having brand and generic effective rates and how, say, if I send a prescription through, and I'm just going to make up cost here, for $100, and they pay the claim at $100, but then six months from now, all of a sudden, we get sent an adjustment for like $60 that we owe them. Well, now we only got paid $40. So that's where, you know, there's a difference there. That might be a little extreme with the case, but we see a lot of these type of adjustments that happen. And again, when they're all in one report, because the same PBM runs Medicare and Medicaid plans, you have to go line by line to really figure out, okay, was that a Medicare? Was that, you know, was that a Medicaid plan? And where was that happening? And I'll be quite frank, where we work, you know, I'm not gonna say work on a skeleton crew, but it you takes a lot of time to go through 10,000 lines a month, or if you had, especially when they're from six months ago, three months ago, whatever it is, to go through all that, which not all of them are going to have it, but, you know, there's 
a lot of claims that go through them in those reports every month. Thank you, Mr. Chairman. Thank you, uh, Mr. Geyer. So, in no attempt at all to attack MCO, since that's been alluded to, right. um, I would say, where's our Medicaid program stand with that? Because if we're trying to have transparency, Medicaid would need to know that there's that increased spread pricing, which isn't called spread pricing in there. Yeah, that's hard for me to really say. Um, I will say from like the state of Ohio, like the independent Medicaid plan that we rarely bill, we haven't seen anything like this, so they seem to be good with it. But it's as soon as we evolve like the third parties and the for-profit companies, for lack of a better term, in this field is where we're seeing it. I'm not, I'm very pro-capitalism, but I'm just, that's where we're seeing this type of thing. Any further questions? Yeah. Representative West. Thank you. Uh, thank you, Eric. Thank you so much for, uh, for coming and testifying. Um, so l let me just be very clear. You know, when I first came to the legislature, I didn't know what a PBM was. You know, to be all honest, I tell people, I thought of peanut butter and mayonnaise. I don't know. Uh, but eventually, you know, I got, got you know, clued in uh, by a lot of pharmacies. Uh, and as Rep. Lip said, and, uh, you know, when we tried to work on that bill, it was an uphill battle, but we got it done. And there was much ease after several months. We didn't hear no more. Um, and we also knew help was on the way with the single PBM, et cetera. Um, but the concern I have now is the, the example you just gave, the $100, and, but the, the price was $40. They end up clawbacking $60. So if this was a, uh, then who, who are they giving that money back to, the clawback? Or all, is that money going back to a government entity? It's hard for me to say because I don't see that end, so I really can't testify and be like, yes, that's definitely going back, just because I can't see that on my end. I don't see who gets the bank account in the end. Um, so that would be a great call out. I just don't want to speak on it because I don't have insight to that. And it makes it really hard for me to say just because I don't have the accountability of that. But that's what we're seeing with that. So does that bring you major concern? Uh, I know, you know if, if it had not been for the dispatch, I probably would not have even known that this was going on. Um, and, and the work that they've done, and of course all the research that they have uh, followed or dug up. Um, the question is, where do we go from here? What would you like to see JMOC do to be able to ensure that um, pharmacies are, you know, obviously not having to go by line by line and audit their own records six months ago or even a year ago? Um, could you tell us about this? So personally, I would like to see it all adjudicated at one time, none of this re-adjudication, unless it's like an egregious claim. Like, obviously, they have a right to audit. Um, we've even seen where they've tried to audit us for any number of things that really isn't there. And then we have to go and try and dig up the reason as to why, and defend ourselves why we did the right thing to take care of somebody. Um, so that's another way. We've seen things that I don't want to say it's necessarily a clawback, but kind of like another step or hurdle they put in our way. Personally, just make it clear and transparent. Make everything where, you know, the dig in with it, and the biggest thing is, I don't want to tell you guys how to do your job, but you know, the word claim could be clarified maybe to any payment around a prescription at any point in time, whether it be now, six months from now, a year from now, whatever. That would help probably clarify that a little bit. And, or just say that you know, all claims that are processed live, that's your final payment on it. And then you'll see really quick and very transparently how the payments are moving. And it would help on my end too, because I wouldn't have to deal with all these crazy chasing these line-by-line -line fees to figure out what's going on. And I could say, that's the price. But if you ask anybody who works in pharmacy, 
it's really hard to tell you how much money we make on a claim because we have, you know, we, we might make the money up front, but then six months from now, if I get hit with a thousand dollar audit for a psych med for somebody who's schizophrenic and, or a, not an audit, a DIR fee or something like that, well, now I made a thousand less dollars. Thousand dollars goes a long way, and maybe not as much as we'd like in healthcare, but that can, you know, pay for somebody like a physician's salary for a day or a part of the day to help see more patients. So that's what we do with 340B, obviously, but that's the way I look at it. Senator Thomas. Thank you. I just got one question based on what you were talking about. So uh, once uh, that, say that $1,000 bill comes to you, and if you dispute that, what happens? Everything gets kind of clogged so up. So you're saying like the, like the fee that gets assessed yeah. to us? There's not really much we can do. I mean, it's, sometimes it's in the contract of you know, we're going to pay you this price minus that. But then other times, you know, we'll get a fee. Or, and some of these, or these generic or brand, uh, like the the clawback, you'll call them, or the effective rate reimbursement. We submit a claim, and then the, the PSAO will adjust it over all the claims for that drug that are in that contract. So if I submit a claim for $100 and you submit one for 50 and the effective rate is 25 like, now where's the payment going to go? Like, is it, are we all going to, am I going to lose 75 that I thought I had? You know, it's, it's very unclear, whereas if initially it just got paid at 25 okay, now we know up front, and there, we can figure out there's no real money we're worried about. Where is it going in the back end? Okay, thank you. Representative Russo. Uh, thank you, Chair. Thank you for being here. Uh, just so that I am clear about the process, um, and you had talked about, you know, the issue comes with the re-adjudication of the claim and uh, you're being assessed these fees. What is typically the time frame that we're talking about, and is there a limit on how much time, uh, the interval time between the uh, initial submission and then the re-adjudication process where you may be hit with these fees that you didn't know about. Yeah. Uh, are there any time constraints in that currently? Um, because it sounds like this process just is not working the way that it should, so there needs to be some clarity there. But what are you typically, what's the time frame we're talking about typically for you? You have to either go contract by contract. Um, I couldn't tell you if it's in law off the top of my head if there's a limit on that, just to be clear. Um, there could be, I just forget off the top of my head. Uh, but I'm seeing them like six months later, five months later. And when you're talking about running a business, obviously, if it hit in 2020 and say December, and now it's June, or maybe I get the report in July, but it was assessed in June, you know, you're talking the better part of a year later, six months, that now I'm having to, oh, now I didn't make as much on that, now I have to look at my staffing again. And that's part of what is fueling some of these staffing models and these pricing issues. Okay, thank you. Senator Antani. My name is Sherman, thank you. Uh, so in your example that you cited of the $100 payment and then the $60 later clawback, what's the price of the actual drug? <laughs> At what point in the supply chain are you referring to price? So what I buy it from, what the wholesaler buys it from, what the patient pays, the cash price, what the insurer pays, or the PPM pays. Mr. Chairman, uh, if I may proceed, what is the price that you believe you should be paid for the drug? In something like that, you can never charge more than what your cash price is. So in that case, the price would be $100 that the pharmacy is selling it for. And again, my farm is still different because we don't have a lot of cash patients with 340B, just to be clear. But in the case of like a, what you think of a normal retail pharmacy or community pharmacy, the price in that model would be $100. Father Sherman. Senator Antoni. Thank you, Mr. Sherman. So, so if I'm hearing you correctly, what you're saying is that th there's never been a case in which a PBM has clawbacked 
uh, an amount for overpayment. That that the that whatever it is that the PBM pays is what the pharmacy should receive. Can you clarify that for me just one more time so I can make sure I follow? Yeah, thank you, Mr. Chairman. Oh, uh, sorry, Mr. Chairman. So what you so the reason a clawback occurs is overpayment, right? There's an overpayment for the price of the drug. But it sounds like to me is what you're saying is whatever whatever the reimbursement is, it should stay there regardless of the cost of the drug. The, the part of the problem in, with the model is, is that it's coming much later if there is anything. And a lot of times these drugs are being hit at a loss too. Like So again, in the case of $100 here, maybe it'll come down with their uh, uh, adjudication to even 20 bucks, but the drug costs 50. You know, so the, the, that's where the price part becomes very hard to determine from what the uh, on our end what we're actually charging and what we're actually getting paid for it. Representative West. Yes, could you do, could you expand a little bit more uh, for the 340B um, and how that affects you? I mean, I think for the audience, I don't know when we talk about 340B. Could you hone in on that a little bit? Yeah, I will say we have an expert in the back of the room who probably knows more than me. Um, but besides that, the general rule is any profit we make off that, we have to reinvest back into healthcare through that program. So we do get a discount purchase price. And then any profit we make, we have to put back into healthcare. So when we're going to hit with fees, this is money that we are obligated to put back into healthcare. That's not the way other pharmacies work, to be very clear. But for us, specifically, that means that we have less money to reinvest back into patient care services for people who have a hard time getting access to care and things like that. Thank you. Senator Huffman. Hey, thank you. I'm, I'm still trying to, I think, like Senator Antoni to, to understand this. So you get paid $50, or, or um, say you get paid $100, and somewhere down the, down the line, the PBM comes back and say, hold on, we should have only paid you 50 Right. Mm -hmm. So what you should have gotten was fifty, not a hundred. Correct. Are they not giving you the money you deserve, or you're just not happy that hey, look, they took six months to take the money back? It, it really depends with each claim on that, which is the hard part because sometimes we're getting paid like less than the cost of even well, the drug. No, no. But what is your contractual obligation? Is it fifty dollars? I don't care what the drug is. It's what your contract says. So that's just it. It's we don't always know because it's set to like an effective rate for like the whole plan. And we don't always know what that is because with the averages of other people and what they're paying and things like that. It can be very hard to, it's very hard to explain, to be honest with you. I'm not trying to be a little embarrassed by that. It's just, it's very hard to, like, you know, get that. So we don't actually know. Like, we'll submit that, and we might think that we're submitting what is a normal price. And say we got reimbursed, say we submit 25, right? And that was the price we charged. That was the price. We didn't make hardly anything on it. And then we get all of a sudden hit back with a $5 fee. Now we're losing $5 on it. And that's not even counting, like, your labor and everything else. That's just the cost of the drug, too. Chairman, what's the $5 fee? That's the re-adjudication that could be hit six months down the road. Sorry if that wasn't clear. So, so that is an extra fee or what you should have been paid? I, I'm trying to get at, are you getting paid what you're supposed to get paid? Or are you getting paid, it, do they overpay you and then take the money back? Both. <laughs> and so, sorry to be vague, but both is really the answer to that question. Okay, so, so what we should focus on is getting uh, taking money back that, that you shouldn't get paid. Yes, like, so can you clarify that one more time? So, so, so if, a, if you're supposed to get paid 50 and they pay you 100 and they take the 50 back, that's just making things right. 
That could be, but that's, again, when sometimes down the road, that's not always the way that it works. Like, we're actually getting underpaid sometimes for the prescription. And I don't mean underpaid as we're making less money. I mean underpaid as we're not even getting, covering the cost of the prescription in some cases. Okay. Senator Antani. Thank you, Mr. Chairman. So, hold on. Let's just pause for a minute. Okay. In your testimony, you gave the example of $100. And you said, well, the evil PBMs come back and claw back $60. And that's wrong. But now you're saying, in the answers to our questions, that you don't know what the price actually should have been. You don't know what the reimbursement rate should have actually been. So the question is, in your example that you provided, how much should you have been paid? And if the answer is it's too complicated, then it must be too complicated for you to know the amount that you should have been paid. The, the problem with that is it depends on the drug, the contract, and everything else with that. Because they don't actually give us a set price. They just say this minus this, and that number can change from time to time as well. Oh, sure. Senator Antoni. Thank you, Mr. Chairman. So if you don't know the price of the drug, which is what you're saying now, how do you know if they were clawing back an appropriate amount or not? What I'm basing that off is if we're losing money on even filling the prescription or off. Now, when also, when you look at the contract, it's very hard to tell because they say, for example, they'll use AWP minus 89%, so average wholesale price minus almost 90%, and that AWP can change, and it's for the whole group as well. So we don't actually even know if we're overcharging, if we're undercharging. Like, it makes it very hard to even sure. put the drug price out there. Thank you, Mr. Chairman. So what you're saying is you base things off of your profit margins and not the actual cost of the drug. No, I'm basing these off of the cost of the drug. Mm -hmm. is, is, was that not clear when I said that? I'm sure, but you're, you can't tell me the price of the drug. I can tell you the price we pay, and I can't always tell you the price we're going to get paid because it changes over, you know, again, over time. Representative West. You know, I appreciate the questions and I uh, appreciate your, you know, the example because this is what I'm hearing. It's, it's all over the place. And the sad part about it is there's no predictability uh, when it comes to pharmacies and understanding how much you're going to pay and how much they're going to come back later and claw back. That's the, the issue I understand. Is that correct? Yes. Okay, so I'm still, again, confused at the final outcome. When they come back to claw back that $60, um, do they reimburse who's paying them? That would be a great question to ask them because it's hard for me to always see that, right? Like, I, I don't have the state fund. I don't have the PBM fund. I just know it goes back to them. Thank you. Are there further questions? Seeing none. Yeah. Okay. Representative Lips. Thank you, Mr. Geyer. Are all clawbacks a result of an overpayment or um, inappropriate billing by you? Mm -hmm. Can you rephrase that for me just so I make sure I'm, I'm capturing it correctly? Every time you receive adjudication or a clawback showing you owe money, is it a result of you overbilling incorrectly, billing incorrectly, or a result of them overpaying the claim? There could be some cases where maybe we overcharge, but for the most part, it's them just re-adjudicating it. Um, to, to be fair, there has been times where we have gotten a positive uh, re-adjudication, but that is very rare and very small, if any. Representative Lips. Um, have you ever gone to Kroger's? We don't have Kroger's in Cleveland, but uh, Kroger. Go to Kroger and buy a. That is. That's right. Buy a. I'll say a, 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 a jug of milk. And six months later, Kroger called and said, "Wait, we didn't charge you right. You owe us another dollar." I've never had that happen to me. Thank 
Senator Thomas. Thank you. And, this, uh, and I appreciate you taking the time being in a hot seat like this. What is, in your thought, just your opinion, in your professional opinion, what is the fix? Transparency is the biggest thing. So like that, that way we know what we're getting paid. You know what you're, you know, the government's paying or Medicaid's paying and that we're not dealing with all this murky stuff because, you know, that's how we set prices for what we're, what we're selling things for, right? And in our case, any profit we make is going back into patient care. But it's really hard to know that if you're charging appropriately or not because there could be a, there could also be a point where, say, you know, you charge $5 and then, you know, maybe it was higher than that that they would have paid for it. But you don't get that $2 back very often, if ever. Um, so that's, you know, it's, again, there's, it's very hard to say a price, and I'm not trying to be mercurial when I say that, but just because that's the process. So to me, transparency at all levels. I think the single PBM is a, a good start to the right way, to be honest with you. I, I always want to reserve judgment until I see what happens, because maybe it just goes awry, although I would hope it wouldn't. But that t in transparency, you know, sunlight's the best disinfectant, okay. not just for COVID. That's been helpful. Thank you. Just a reminder to the committee members, JMOC has litigated this for several months. So we have a fix in place. It was passed two budgets ago, and we're going to see how it works out. Are there further questions? Seeing none, thank you, Mr. Geyer. Thank you, Chairman. And thanks for listening to the Political Pharmacist Podcast, your prescription for pharmacy and politics.